Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's installment of Aftermath Hours, our flagship podcast. I am Nathan Grayson, and I'm joined by people that I will let introduce themselves. Uh, I'm Chris Burson. I'm Luke Plunkett. And I'm friend of the show, Ash Parrish. I'm sorry, I just designated myself friend of the show like that. Uh, no, it's all good. I mean, if you're, you're on here, to. I think you're a friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's right. We have a special guest this week, our first ever guest on Aftermath Hours. I bet you didn't know that, or maybe you did know that you were the first guest. I don't know how close you are. I didn't know this. that. I did not know that. That's actually, oh, I'm honored. Yeah, congratulations. Really? I'm, I mean it. I mean it. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, and yeah, today we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. Um, I think the main thing that everybody sort of is most buzzing about right now is the Xbox news. Um, given that that is the case, I figured we can kind of just jump right into that. Um, especially cause I know Ash, you might have to go at some point. So All right, yeah. let's maximize your time here. Um, but yeah, to kind of fill people in, uh, Microsoft just dropped a video like an hour ago outlining their kind of non-exclusive, but still exclusive strategy. They are going to, uh, release four games on non Xbox platforms and they, uh, Curiously would not in their actual videos say what they were. Um, TheVerge.com, a website that you might have heard of, Ash, uh, did report what they were. They are, um, what, Pentiment? So, according yeah. to, yeah, sources, they're, they're Pentiment, which we knew about, um, Hi-Fi Rush, which we knew about, Sea of Thieves, which we knew about, and one we didn't really know about, which was Grounded, which was that, um, wasn't that the community game with the spiders where it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but it, that, mm -hmm. that game... Those are the four games that are reportedly going to be released on other consoles. Yeah, which I mean, you know, that that seems to me like, okay, a couple games that are smaller and maybe didn't get a ton of attention or like they got some, especially critically, but in terms of sales, like, you know, they weren't huge. And then a couple other games that are like community driven and could probably benefit from an injection of new life into their player bases, you know, a couple years down the line from release. Yeah, it seems to make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. But at the same time, I know, Luke, you had opinions about this. You were calling this damage control. Well, damage control, that that maybe in hindsight, that was a bit harsh. But <laughs> like, I, I'm like, what what games they release on, on which platforms is like whatever, you know, to, to most normal people that don't take sides in, in console wars. I, I was just, I'm fascinated by what this, and if you haven't seen it, I know it's only an hour old. Xbox released this sort of response partly a response to the to the stories that circulated that we spoke about last week about Xbox games going multi-platform, partly as kind, slight sort of damage control as like an, a, ch a chance to sort of put an official word out about those reports that were obviously, you know, unverified, whatever. This thing's only an hour old, so you may well not have, have had a chance to, to... Well, they released it as a podcast, so you can listen to it. They put it on YouTube so you can watch it. Um, it's, I've, it's a fascinating thing to watch. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it where it's like this really super prepared and slick response to what was essentially a series of press rumors. Mm -hmm. And at one point, like it acknowledges those that they were partly correct. And then in another way, it like completely crushes two of the main sort of well, attempts to crush anyway, two of the main sort of pieces of reporting that came out of that, that two of the games that would be going to other consoles were these sort of major first party exclusive titles, which were Starfield and the upcoming Indiana Jones game. And so like, I'm super interested in this from a journalistic, this is very inside baseball, but I'm super interested in this from like a journalistic point of view as to like what happened with these stories a week ago, what happened between then and now, 
to either show that those stories were wrong, even though they came from multiple people who were very close to, to Microsoft, or whether Microsoft took that extra week in formulating this like little mini world's most boring Nintendo Direct <laughs> sort of approach to, to PR to sort of make adjustments to that strategy or to, to get out ahead of that strategy with an official response that doesn't mention bigger news that, that might be coming in six or 12 months time. So like, yeah, I thought it was a, a wild thing to sort of sit and watch for 22 minutes. It was, uh, it was really fucking weird, dude. Like, <laughs> I, I guess that's the other thing is it just, it felt like, like these are definitely, it, it sort of had echoes of the Nintendo responding to Power World thing where it's like that you can just in it, like from inference feel like people who've been yelled at by like the, by a lot of very unwell people <laughs> just for like a span of a whole week. And they're like, we have heard your concerns, the viability of Xbox. And it's just, I will think, say the thing that is instructive is like trying to parse the code of what they're saying when they're saying nothing, but also seemingly saying something. It's a really weird kind of like, you know, using words like the viability of Xbox as a platform and saying like, you know, it's always, always been about the games and like games go a lot of places, but then also like doubling back down on hardware. It's like a really it was weird because it felt like it was like they were trying to obfuscate by like sounding as corporate as possible, which is like what they always do. But like, whilst still signaling that, you know, like to, to people who were just like yelling at them, like, we get it, we understand, you know, it's, it's a really strange tone that felt very, um, like if you didn't have the context for like what had happened, it would be really confusing. Like this only makes right. sense if you are if you are like, hey, what the fuck is happening to them? And then they're like, we see you, you're we're there. But if you don't, it just feels really arbitrary. Hmm. Yeah, this I could mean, have been an email. <laughs> yeah, it could have been an email. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I do wonder too, like, because you know they're they're replying to this contingent of their fans who got you know like really upset about the idea that there might not be Xbox exclusives in the future, that, that Xbox might be diverging from that model, um, but like how big is that group of people really? Like this is their most like, you know, online contingent of fans and the people who are still like console warriors in the year 2024, which is, you know, always been a sad thing to be, but I think it's an excessively sad thing to be now. <laughs> and so it's like, who were they speaking to here? I mean, they clearly felt like there was a big enough group of people that were aggrieved by all of this. That they needed to address it. But like, are those people actually that much of their consumer base or are they just able to make themselves incredibly loud? I mean, they're obviously able to make themselves incredibly loud, but at the same time, they're still talking to the people who, you know, go out and buy their Xboxes every year for whatever reason. And the interesting thing to me is they still didn't really assuage those fears. Like people were, you know, returning their Xboxes and smashing their Xboxes <laughs> and writing songs and crying and stuff because they thought that Indiana Jones and Starfield were coming to Xbox. Critically, they didn't say they weren't. They're just mm -hmm. not a part of this little rollout. And, mm -hmm. you know, Spencer said that, you know, we're going to do this on a case-by-case -case basis and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't hard kill the idea that Starfield is going to show up on PS5. And in the future, they will. So those people, you know, who have made Xbox their identity or whatever, yeah, they had this histrionic response right now, but there's still a very valid concern. Like, why do I even buy an Xbox anymore if I can play Spider-Man and Starfield on my PS5, you know, just a year or two later? That's, yeah. what I, that, that's one of the things that, that got me about <clears throat> how I said I find it interesting from a journalistic point of view, because that's essentially all this show today was, was a response to some press 
reports. But in addressing those, in trying to sort of head those off by addressing them so formally and so full of, you know, corporate comms slick PR talk, by leaving those questions unanswered as a result of that, they haven't really solved anything. In fact, they may have made it worse because all they've, they've yeah. tried to come out and essentially say in a very slick manner, don't worry about those reports. It's, it's these four games. It's not these big games. They're not one of those four that we're talking about today, just today. It's fine, guys. But then they also say the games had to be a year old. And so it's like, well, everyone just straight away looks at their calendar and they're like, well, when does Starfield turn one? <laughs> like what Like what contracts have been signed on Indiana Jones for 12 months after it's released? Like has, has Xbox tried to get out today to head off essentially a series of press reports, essentially discrediting those those reporters and those reports while at the same time, like just leaving themselves open for someone to circle back around to this on when Starfield like may or does inevitably end up on PS5 after all of this shit show anyway. I, um, there's also like, I don't know. It's one of those one things where like, when you, like, it feels like a Phoenix, right? Like case or something like that, where it's like, you have this very manicured face. And then like, every time you like, see, they drop a little detail. You're like, wait, what do you mean by that? You know, and like the one the one that was really striking to me was like they were talking about hardware and they were talking and because that's what I really care about is like what you know, like we get that you have a lot of software development. We know that's not going to happen. I don't give a shit about exclusivity. I want to know if what the box that's you're going to ship that you're clearly not shipping enough of is going to look like. And they said like, oh, the next Xbox and granted, this is the kind of shit they've always said will be like the greatest hardware jump in history. And granted, again, that's the shit they always say in history. But that's like pretty provable that's like a pretty huge thing to say and they're like oh yeah in december when our hardware we got new stuff in december it's like what is that a controller what is that like a console what is that several other con controllers and consoles made by other people licensed like what the fuck is going on like you're not helping me figure out what i really care about which is like do you have an xbox anymore and i understand that the answer is probably but like you know, like it, they were their ambivalence towards even that concept felt really like even in how they were hedging felt really strange. And especially when they talk about like screens everywhere, they love talking about screens anywhere. And I know that they've always talked about that shit, but it's also like, I don't know, man, that sounds like you guys don't know. It sounds like you guys don't know a little bit or you do know and you know something really weird, but it also sounds like you're not really helping me either way. But it's really representative of what we were talking about as well with the, the that Xbox what does Xbox even mean anymore post that, that I wrote, I think last week or early this week, where today's show was sort of perfectly representative of that mindset that's got us all here in the first place of this enormous company that has spent 10 years throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks, has now landed itself in this situation where it's got a number of different strategies that are in some ways are almost competing against each other. And leads to situations like this where you go and spend billions of dollars buying companies, but then you're stuck with those games and those games don't sell what they used to sell because you can't release them on other platforms, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about this before. Yeah. That show sort of condensed that all into 22 minutes where they had three people on stage talking about three almost completely different strategies on how Microsoft's going to work and make money. And they're all like... You can't stand there and talk about your next great piece of hardware that's going to be running Xbox exclusives while literally talking about putting your exclusives <laughs> on others. Yeah, on others. Like it was wild seeing like, and they tried to sort of slick it up and make it more presentable. But like watching that take place was like fascinating. Well, they also signaled so much of like, I they signaled also that like just you know 
I think what a lot of people are feeling and experiencing in the industry, which is that also the industry is changing um, to a pretty huge degree. And so like they name drop like Roblox and games like that and how these individual games can become bigger than platforms. And it's like, yeah, if you're on Microsoft or a Sony, you've gotta be looking at that and thinking, okay, how do we do that? How do we adapt to that? And so of course they wanna be everywhere because they see these games being everywhere and they're like, that's sort of some version of the future. But then they're also like, but our current business is not rooted in anything like that. And so we need to be able to do both, maybe, like as people in chat are saying, they're hedging their bets. But you know, if you hedge your bets too much, then you just have an unfocused business and it's like, okay, what what are we what are we doing here? My 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 favorite theory is that there is that by that they inherited a weird curse from Sony or from Sega. <laughs> they had they inherited the weird duopoly curse of being the other person in like a hardware space, and that eventually it will come for them and kill them. Uh, this is not rooted in literally anything except like I don't know poetic justice in my head. But the idea that they were just like they just like they have to, you always have to have another weird one because it can't just be like PlayStation and Nintendo. Like that would be fucking weird. And are you saying that Peter? Are you saying that Peter Moore, in going from the Dreamcast era Sega to early era, <clears throat> um, brought some curse with him? To, uh, they brought it. They brought it with, with Jet company, Set Radio. They brought it with like. What were those like early Sega games? Yeah, those, that were the, all... yeah, those early ports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the weird, the weird IP and like just the continuity between the two pieces of hardware created an an infernal link that 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 cursed them forever <laughs> and made it so that you have like nothing but weird choices your entire life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a good and theory. Of, is, I, you know what? I'm 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 calling it curse, and then mm-hmm. uh, it opens up space for a weird fucked up valve console that nobody wants but that ends up being <laughs> making more sense i i like this is my this is my theory there's just like a strange just magic i don't care anymore i like i don't know what their their strategy is long term i don't think they do the thing that you're missing is that you're gonna have this brand new souped up as powerful as anything has ever been in the history of ever xbox is it's just a game pass machine because right. there's also a part of this, the news that, you know, there's 34 million subscribers on Game Pass now. And that Game Pass is going to be the thing that makes people buy Xboxes because Game Pass is not going to be available on anywhere else. Right. Well, and I, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but I mean, I think that like, you know, if you look at the offerings that Xbox has right now, like Game Pass in the long term is their like Trojan horse plan to be everywhere. And then also like in the meantime, just having games available via Game Pass and also these exclusives going onto other platforms is like, you know, used correctly, a really strong advertisement for Xbox. Like you see this often, like the world of Twitch and live streaming and stuff too. Um, Twitch just like did away with exclusivity entirely for the most part, anybody can stream anywhere. And the thinking there, which seems to be bearing it out in bigger numbers on Twitch is that they can just go have streamers advertise for them for free. Um, if you just like go put your best thing, your best foot forward somewhere else and expose people who have not been exposed to it before that way, then some of those people are going to think, huh, that place over there is cool. I'll just go there from now on. I'll just get it direct. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, it's all PCs. They're all, they've all been PCs, right? All these <laughs> things are fucking PCs. That's all it is. They're either PCs or a handheld. That's really all it is. Mm-hmm. And like, I think people are, you know, and now streaming endpoint, which is just a different kind of like specific thing. And they would like it to be all streaming endpoint because they still think Netflix is a good idea. I don't know if streaming platforms are a good idea at this point. I don't think that's born. I don't know. I don't know how well that's born out. I don't know how well Game Pass is like 
going to do in the future. And I don't know if, if like people are going to jump on like, you know, the streaming anywhere shit. Like I, I, I probably, I don't know. I also think a lot of people just kind of like, you know, consoles will just be niche things. I don't know. We've talked about this. It's, it's, it's like strange. It's like, it's like, I don't, they're, they're, they feel like they're disintegrating like personality wise. I don't know. We've talked about that too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like, you know, the, the PC, your comment about PCs, I think lays the whole, whole thing bare, right? You had all these people get upset about the idea of uh, Xbox exclusives going elsewhere. And it's like, yeah, but they've been going elsewhere for years on the PC. So have PlayStation games. Like it's all arbitrary, like you're saying. I mean, you know, that, that's also why like nobody really cared when some of these games came to Steam because it's a line in the sand thing between Xbox and Sony. That's why people care because of their little tribes. They are mentally five years or eight, mm -hmm. eight years old or something. It's just like, it's literally like dad works in Nintendo shit forever. <laughs> um, yes. Weird, weird thing to watch is yeah. a really strange thing mm -hmm. to watch. But I think also people in chat are making a good point. Um, cause people are mentioning like the steam deck and like the idea of like valve hardware. And I think that's a really salient point because if you want to look at like, a post-exclusivity future where someone's still making hardware. The Steam Deck is kind of a perfect example because it's hardware made to fit a specific purpose of what the platform is already doing. The platform is a good place to access tons of games and to take your game library basically with you anywhere. So Valve said, okay, let's make a platform that literally allows people to take their games with them anywhere. Like just have it on a small screen they want to, have it on their computer screen when they want to and so on. So they like designed hardware around a pre-existing ecosystem, which I think is what companies like Microsoft will have to do increasingly if their games are going to be everywhere. I mean, and that's one of the things that they teased was that they're going to build a, an Xbox uh, handheld like that wasn't confirmed or whatever. But, you know, that's one of the rumors that's out there, which totally makes sense. And, you know, PS5 had that abortive whatever that thing was that only works <laughs> as a tether. Yeah, like that that's probably, you know, stage one of, uh, you know, PS5 deck or whatever. So it, we're increasingly seeing by the things that they're doing and the things that are being reported that handheld is going to be, you know, the way to go. And the Switch, God bless it, has had the life that it's had, despite the fact that it's a potato, specifically because you've been able to take it anywhere for the last, what, eight or nine years now? Maybe seven? I'm not sure. I have a question, which is like, if there's an Xbox handheld that comes out tomorrow, what's the use case over the Steam Deck? Game Pass. Yeah. But like versus my entire library? Yeah. Also, you can, it's not that hard to get Game Pass running on Steam Deck. I did it last yeah. year and it's already it's easier hard. now. That's the thing we didn't mention before is, is, is Game Pass is on PC. Like it's not exclusive to Xbox, you know? Yeah. Like it's... And we're people continuously sort of ignore and underestimate the size and importance of the PC market just because it's so nebulous and it's not like fanboy branded and has a sort of singular banner it can rally under like something like a PlayStation or an Xbox. But like, it's not, a, it's not so much a matter of Game Pass is only available on Xbox. It's when it's on Xbox and PC, that's reaching most people. You're right, of course. Like, we're all right that, you know, it's not that big a deal because Game Pass is on PC. I think that it's all because we're not normal people and we're extremely online and most of the people that we know and hang around are familiar with that thing. But the rank and file gamer, I don't believe is the kind of person who knows what a Steam Deck is. I mean, it's not going to be as few as, you know, 
It's not obscure, but it definitely doesn't have the penetration as to most, you know, quote unquote, normal gamers. So uh, a handheld, an Xbox handheld that lets you take Game Pass with you, I think is going to be a big freaking deal for families that don't do PC gaming at all and are not like in that area. Like I said, we all know it exists because, you know, we're not normal and we're all extremely online and whatever. But like, you know, my cousin who plays Xbox, who exclusively plays on Game Pass, has no fucking idea what Steam is. So when an Xbox handheld comes out so he can take his Game Pass with him when he goes, you know, on field trips or whatever, is absolutely going to be tailor-made for him. Yeah. And bear in mind, like, you know, the, the market for desktop PCs is shrinking. It has been shrinking year over year for a while, whereas mobile is bigger and bigger. Um, and I think that, like, you know, per what seems to be the current Xbox strategy, like, if people are playing Steam or if people are playing Game Pass on Steam Deck, that's a win. If they're playing it on an Xbox handheld, that's a win. Like I yeah. think in their minds, if they the more places they are, the better off they are. If people one day get on their PlayStation and say, I'm gonna play some Xbox, like that's that's a huge win. That's they they've taken over. Or or just seeing it as like an OS instead of a like device you get, you know, yeah. a thing that you run. Like, I mean, like I jo joke a lot about like Steam devices, you know, those little like consoles they like put out, but like, you know, the, the concept of like, it doesn't matter where it is provided I there there's hardware to run it, you know, like they could done, even outside of streaming, they could open themselves up to like different SKUs from different, like, like these are approved, you know, like kind of, kind of different hardware options. They could streamline the concept of making another kind of PC that is also like technically within spec you know what i mean like here's a higher end one like that's that's how you would theoretically if they're talking about like oh this is gonna be a huge like leap in like you know the ability you know they might make a weird boutique extremely expensive like like higher end xbox for people like that's not something they they source like themselves but like just to just for show or some shit i don't know like the 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 idea of like box as like the entire thing just feels like they're unsure of it, like completely. And, and it doesn't really matter. I don't know. This goes back to what we're saying though, about how it, th there's the competing philosophies at the heart of this is that you can, we can all see there are people at Xbox who have, and, and, and this isn't some idea. You can already see it in, in action that Xbox becomes philosophically the place you go to play games. And when I say place, I don't mean a box under your TV or a thing you're holding mm -hmm. in your hand. I mean, the same way Netflix is a place you go to watch TV shows and movies, regardless of where it is. I'm sure there are people at Microsoft that are like, Xbox is going to be, yes, there might be a box that you put in your living room, but it's an app on your phone. It's it's an app on your smart TV. It's a, it's a program for your laptop. It's just, there's an Xbox and it's got some kind of unified interface and design and you can access your library wherever you are and you can access your cloud saves wherever you are and it doesn't matter which device it is because it's all on the cloud and that's mm -hmm. you know and you can see that happening like if you if you've ever had the misfortune of having to use the xbox app on pc you can see that already like you can see the the, the lines coming together of this is just my xbox thing but it's on a different piece of hardware and you can see that happening on your tv or on your phone or on a laptop or a tablet whatever but then they turn around and in that show and press release have to talk about that they're, they've got hardware coming that's going to cost them billions of dollars and is going to be a huge like albatross around their neck in terms of sales and identity and everything else. And it's like, 
which one of these two things, like, which one of these things are, are we doing here? They, they don't seem to complement each other at all. You're trying to sell an exclusive piece of expensive, dedicated hardware while at the same time pursuing all these things that exist on the cloud and pitch Xbox as something beyond hardware. Like, I don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah, it's very confusing. Um, but in other subjects uh, that are not confusing and just unabashedly rule, and actually sort of go back to some of what we were talking about. Um, I've been playing a lot of Helldivers too. I don't know, Chris, did you get around to it? Uh, it's installed. I am like preparing for a vacation. I've just been watching a lot of streams. Oh, so I, haven't, like, dug, I haven't dug into it a lot. You know mm. what I mean? But uh, it's fucking cool. Yeah. Wait, Ash, have you played it? No, because I've been told that you have to talk to people to play this game. Oh, and that doesn't don't. work for me. No, I was worried about that because when I first opened the game, it asked me if I wanted to like have push to talk on or just like open comms. And I was like, oh boy, I hate both those ideas. Um, and so I just like turned that off and nobody talks in this game. And there's a bunch of like little, you can like put a signal or like a little symbol on the map where you want people to go and your character will be like, waypoint there. Like it's all, it's extremely well-designed for never actually communicating verbally. Okay. Yeah. That is the first time anybody has said that to me. And with that information, I will give it a try over the long weekend because I am having a hard case of FOMO. Everybody looks like they're having so much fun mm -hmm. and I want to go to Robot Vietnam. Yeah. Yep. I, I will say I haven't, I haven't played it yet because obviously I'm up to my eyeballs in finishing Infinite Wealth, but... I can't remember the last time I saw like just footage of people playing a game and it looked that fucking cool. Yeah. Like, like I like just watching people go, holy shit, this looks amazing. And I don't, I don't even know the specifics of how it works. Like, I don't even know how the comms works. I don't know how the guns feel. I don't even know the overall objectives apart from shoot aliens. You're going to love how reloading works. <laughs> it just looks cool as hell. Like well done. <laughs> just for making it look amazing. So, so um, I'm deep in the middle of editing highlight reel, uh, you know, and I going through all of the, this is basically just what the episode is going to be. It's just mostly going to be hell divers because everybody's fucking enjoy it. And I've not seen a game this dynamic in a while from a physics perspective, from a gameplay perspective. Um, it's really impressive because it's like, Usually when you see people gush about a game or when, when you see people show clips from a game, even if it's a really good looking game, there's usually the reason they share a clip is because it's like something novel happened in it. Like, hey, I did this cool trick or something like that. And that definitely happens. But there's also people just sharing rare, like raw gameplay and being like, holy shit, mm -hmm. like, holy fuck, this game is like one of the most intense, high tension, really aggressive action games or act, it, it feels like a movie, you know, yeah. this shit feels like a movie, you know, like, um, and I, and part of that, you know, the robot Vietnam stuff is like the tracer bullet stuff and like, just like the way they ratchet up the gameplay tension by like mechanically, but also just like a lot can happen. And there's like, it's a like kind of a really aggressive game design. And it's very rare for people to say, just show you raw gameplay of a game and be like, look at how cool this is. And for that to be enough, because that's the dream of a lot of games is to be enough just mechanically and based on what's happening on the screen for it to sell people on a game. And yeah. this is one of the few games that does that. That's really rare for it to be like, whoa, I got to play that because that looks fucking sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And like, I mean, there, there's that video going around on Twitter of like, if you want to sell your friends on Helldivers, just show them this. And it was just raw gameplay footage of like- Just raw know, gameplay. An outdoor nighttime uh, combat encounter with like robots. 
Um, but yeah, it had that like Vietnam level of intensity. Um, but at the same time, what I really enjoy about the game is that even though you have those really intense clips that look very cinematic, it is also really, really funny. Like it's not hmm. this like po-faced, very serious video game. It's like more a video game of like a series of ridiculous mishaps where because the game constantly escalates the tension over the course of a mission, things go wrong in more and more hilarious ways. And like you're constantly diving everywhere to like avoid, you know, acid vomit from giant bugs while your characters are screaming at the top of their lungs. Like it's it's slapstick humor. Rules. Isn't this like 40K stuff or no? Uh, it's it, I was gonna say it's some it, it it's it there a little bit but mainly like Starship Trooper stuff yeah, and like Terminator and like the you know like in Terminator Two when like Judgment Day you're just like da, 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 that kind of shit you know what I mean it's it's really like um it gets across like how how yeah like you're saying like how funny <laughs> just like a big bug vomiting acid at you can be mm-hmm. and like what it's like to take down a guy with like your friend feeding ammo into your gun. And stuff like that, you know, just like just like doing mechanically really interesting things with the game, yeah. you know, uh, calling down orbital strikes, you know, is like a pretty seems to be just pretty like a regular occurrence with it. And yeah. It's just like, yeah, that shit's cool. Uh, that <laughs> so, part rules, too, because um, to do anything, to use like stratagems, which include the orbital strikes, um, you've got to like input little fighting game style commands like with arrows, so, like up, up, down, left, right, whatever. And um Doing that, like, it's so brilliant. I don't know how they came up with this because it seems unintuitive at first, but it adds just the right amount of tension to every encounter. Like, if you've got bugs swarming on you, you can see them coming from far away. You want to call in an orbital strike. You're like, okay, uh, I got to enter this command. And, like, you can see it on screen, but you still might fuck it up. And if you do, you got to start it over. So you're like, uh, 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 uh. And like, then you happen, you enter it correctly and you like lob your little grenade that targets where the strike is going to go. And like breathe this massive sigh of relief as it happens. And you're like, okay, thank God I did it. Or you die in the process and you're like, ah, shit. Well, never mind. Um, it's just so smart. Like I, I would love to, you know, see footage from like some of the meetings where they came up with this stuff because it's just like such a focused, intelligent design. It's brilliant. It, it also feels like something that would have gotten play tested out in a previous, like in any recent game. You know, this is like just all this, these all feels like really um, aggressive design in terms of like, oh, we got to make this fun to play. It's like, or maybe you don't, maybe you a little bit don't, maybe you make it a little, a little thorny and that's actually really good mechanically. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh Sephir and chats as they've been uh, doing stuff like stratagem since magica because yeah that's right i forgot they develop the developer that made that game um it's like what that was the little like wizard game from years your ago your eyes luke your eyes wow are they i didn't know that magica was fucking amazing this like has drawn a line between those two games that i didn't know existed but i can now see with absolute clarity yeah wow yeah, that was a little like wizard co-op game where like you're different kind yeah, of yeah. wizards and you like combine your magic powers. Hmm. Yep, like different classes of wizard, just running around doing wizard shit. It was very cute. It was very cool. Yeah, that, that except now not- it's a murderous, murderous dystopian sci-fi Starship Troopers. Set. Right. Cool. I was gonna say that game did not look like Vietnam at all. So <laughs> no, they've come a long way. It's interesting that we're gushing over what is essentially a PS5 exclusive after talking about 
the strategy of Xbox and exclusives or whatever. But it's also I don't think Helldivers 2 is going to sell PS5s, but it's interesting that, you know, hey, you can play that on your PS5 and not your Xbox. Right. But you can also play it on PC. It's the first Sony game to launch day one on PC and PlayStation 5. And it's been doing ridiculous numbers on on PC. It's like they made the Mm -hmm. right call there. And like, I think that led what to this week, Sony, like saying in some material to investors or whatever, like they want to be more aggressive with their PC strategy. So, I mean, there's, they're feeling the same pressure as Xbox. They're just like, you know, they're, they're reacting to it differently. I also really think that like, it's, you know, the, the, the appeal of a $40 game, Mm. you know, that like is kind of a no brainer in certain ways. You're like, cause it's just like, you know, you know. The thing I think Sony's had to deal with the most is just like how heavy each of these exclusives is when in reality it's like, okay, what what can really move the needle a lot more? I don't know. I, I Maybe it's just because I like Returnal a lot and I wish they did more Returnal sized things. But like. Was that a full price game? I forget it, but it's just it was. Uh, I forget. I thought it was cheaper than that. I don't know, but it was more interesting and it would probably cost le- them less to develop than like Spider-Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it didn't seem like a particularly costly thing. Or you know, they they you can make their you can make your offerings not cost like half a billion, I don't know, however a quarter of a billion dollars, however much it fucking cost. Well, that's the other interesting thing, right? Like Phil Spencer was talking all about growth or whatever, which was like a really weird thing to talk about. Like we want growth at all costs and everything's about growth. And if we have growth, we won't have to lay people off, which is not how exactly that happened. But still, and then, you know, two of the biggest games that have ever launched like just this year and the two months of this year have been uh, Helldivers, which is not full price, and freaking Power World. Mm -hmm. And these are... These are like, it's not exactly like I want games that are cost less, that are made by less people, that are paid more to do less. It's not exactly that, but it's kind of leaning towards that. And we've got these like unsustainable ass AAA budgets because that's what everybody's shooting for because I don't know, that's what they think is supposed to work. And what is working are these small two-bit ass games with really good game design that are just like, hey, here here it is. Here's our thesis. Here it is. You can buy it for 40 bucks. Have fucking fun, kids. And it's fucking working. And nobody seems to want to invest in that shit anymore because they all want Halo Infinite and Spider-Man 2. And hopefully what these games will teach us will teach the xboxes and the sony's is that you need to be investing in those quote-unquote double a ass games so you can have and build the 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 communities that you want to build and get your install base up and whatever and do all the kinds of growth metrics bullshit that you want to do yeah i mean yeah exactly it's also just more interesting yeah and i think also like there i think to ash's point like these games are focused in a way where like you can sum them up either in helldivers case with gameplay and in Powered's case, just with like, it's Pokemon with guns. Like, you don't have to say like, oh yeah, it's this like big, like, like with Starfield, for example, like big AAA experience where you can do everything and it's for everyone ever. And it's going to be the game you play for the rest of your life. Like, you know, I think that to some people, maybe that sounds appealing to other people. That sounds daunting and unpleasant. Whereas a game where it's just like, yeah, you hop in, you do this. It makes sense immediately. It's fun. It's funny. You can play it with your friends. People love that. That's what people seem to want right now. That's where the appetite is. 
I hope that Prince of Persia game did well. I was just getting ready to say that. Like, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, the most fun I had this year was Prince of Persia. Yeah. I don't think it I think it did I think it didn't do well is my understanding, but I could uh, I need to see solid figures on that. But yeah. Also it, that game cost like sixty bucks, didn't it? Or oh, 50? did it? Did it? Uh I think I think it cost like fifty bucks, if I remember correctly. It cost uh, that's... more but I think mm. it's like uh, the funny thing is like I, I let me look this up. Uh, and then what I, does didn't do well? Because didn't do well in this case, you know, because it's Ubisoft means it didn't sell 11 billion copies, or it could have been just like maybe two million, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, it's a fifty dollar game. I don't know what that metric is of didn't do well. On principle, though, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, like here's a major publisher with a well known series releasing an incredibly focused smaller experience for you to dabble in but then i didn't know how much it cost and they've completely kneecapped me there if it cost 50 bucks <laughs> man that game yeah. shouldn't have been 50 bucks um but i think they were trying to like say like you'd pay this for a metroid game on the switch and it's like that was made by nintendo it's made by nintendo right. they, they get to do yeah. that i'm sorry i know that's a <laughs> fucked up thing to say but they do because they they like they're the worst people to haggle with on earth if you're a consumer. Like they're like, no, that shit's costing full price forever. <laughs> and like maybe and maybe you'll get lucky if you follow like Wario 64 or whatever. But like it's just like they they're like, fuck you. No, it, you give us our the money and that's the price of the game. Yeah. I mean, it's also like I, I think that the the link in the chain that's important to consider with both Helldivers and Power World, which are kind of this year's two big hits so far the unexpected ones anyway, is I think they link more closely to Lethal Company than anything else in that they mm. are all co-op games. They are all games that kind of came out of nowhere, but the people, I think that they became popular because of like word of mouth and people playing with their friends. Everyone I've seen talk about the idea of getting Helldivers is like, yeah, I'm trying to get my friends to buy it too. Um, like that's such a huge part, I think of like video game culture now. Um, I think especially like in, following the pandemic, that's when everyone started playing games together, not just within like smaller gamer groups, but just as the way that they play games. And I think that mm -hmm. that just didn't change. It's still, it, it's one of the main drivers of games now. And Prince of Persia, which looks amazing, I haven't played it yet, um, is a single player game. And that's gonna hamper it in some ways. It doesn't mean simple, single player games are dead. It just means that like their ability to succeed in this landscape is different yeah also i hated all mm. the ubisoft shit they made me do mm. there's a lot of ubisoft shit in that game there's a lot of ubisoft shit in that game. there's a lot of ubisoft shit in that game dude there's a lot of like would you like to go on to you play shit and i was just no, like yeah yeah that's not good not. dude i no. would not like to do that at all and i'm sure the people who designed this game also don't want to do that at all i'm sure <laughs> there is like a french guy who just kind of parachuted in was like you play <laughs> like you play but what it did do well is it did give you the map and allowed you to customize the map so you could go back once you got a new power or whatever and see if you could unlock some shit that was previously locked before, which all Metroidvania mm -hmm. should do. Yeah, I can't mm -hmm. believe nobody came up with that sooner. It also did the thing that I really enjoyed, which is like you make your combat system almost more complicated than it needs to be so that it's fun to play. Like you just make it a fucking fighting game. Like FF16 was like that or it's just like, oh, this is fucking really good to play physically. Uh, but you know, God, it feels that game feels so fucking good. Yeah. What Final Fantasy sixteen? Both Prince of Persia too. Oh, Prince I'm of just Persia. saying. Oh, yeah. yeah, both yeah, of them. Yeah. Have, both of them have like like fighting game level depth in a single player experience, and I appreciate that because it's like you didn't have to do it that hard, but you did, 
And that's why I liked it a lot is because it's just like a lot of juggling and shit you can do, like combos. It looks, it's fun to do. It's, it's the Ninja Gaiden promise of like, you can be good at a single play. If you can be good at a single player game, measurably good, then that's a good sign. All it just tells me is that the children yearn for Bayonetta, more Bayonetta. <laughs> and Vanquish. Yeah, oh man, Vanquish was so good. Holy shit. Vanquish was so mm-hmm. good. Um, but with all of that said, transitioning nimbly to another topic, uh, games that I guess, well, games that are much more excessive than those in some ways and not in others. Uh, Luke, you wrote about yellow paint. Um, oh, something shit. that I think, because on one hand, like, you know, the Final Fantasy VII remakes have like an interesting combat system, but they're not all that elegant. And in this particular regard, they're not elegant at all because they have, have to basically say like, hey, player, go here, um, which has obviously generated a lot of opinions um, some of them may be more valid than others. That's mm, look, the gist of my post about it was basically that every time one of these exhausting sort of discourse topics comes up, there's no right or wrong answer. A, because like one of the tweets I embedded in my post is, <clears throat> is there's people coming at it from 10 different directions and they've each got an ax to grind and each ax is different to the, to the other one. And so you're never going to answer all of those people because some people looked at this as the dumbing down of games. Other people look at it as an accessibility issue. Other people look at it as a consequence of the genre or the, you know, fucking, I don't even want to bring it up. It makes me feel bad. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting every time one of these topics comes up. And so instead of getting in the trenches and fighting it, is just to look at what experienced developers are saying about it instead and be like, there's usually a reason for this. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, Chris, you said it. It's like, there is yellow paint in this video game because when they're testing this video game, most people probably run around for half an hour not knowing what the fuck they're supposed to do. Yeah. Because and they return the game. You need to paint those <laughs> rocks because there's rocks everywhere. And if you don't paint those rocks, people are going to think it's Breath of the Wild and they can climb every rock. And so you need to show that you can only climb those rocks. Can I say, there is a part in the Final Fantasy VII demo where, um, like, you're in Nibelheim. Uh, first off, I, I think also it's doing wild erasure to the ways in which the amount of filler that these games have. Hmm. That wasn't present in the original narrative that they have to, this like needless, boring friction that they have to put in where it's like making Cloud like do a Zamboni or something like that. And I was like, I don't think that was in the original game. But literally when I was in that uh, area, like, you know, there's a part where you're like, you go into Nimbleheim and then they, they talk about the crystal with Sephiroth. It's an iconic moment. But like the actual reality of it is they they don't telegraph how you're supposed to get down there correctly. Like, it's actually kind of like you get snagged on stuff pretty badly. (laughs) Like they do a bad job of it. So even with this whole like annoying yellow paint discourse thing, it's also like kind of a, not a really well optimized space anyway. So, so just like, even though this other art, like these games are kind of like goofy, like the last one was, and one I played of the demo is kind of like strangely optimized. I don't know. I sort of found the Final Fantasy side of it almost irrelevant, though. Like, yes, Final Fantasy was the subject of the original complaint, but I feel like yeah, it's it happens every time. Two seconds into it, it was it was it was nothing to do with Final Fantasy, and it was every game that does this, which is every game. And I don't know, man. I just think whenever it comes up, it's always whenever something like this comes up, it's just like everybody's right. I don't want to have a god day for posting it because he just posted a dumb tweet i don't know uh-huh. how or why it blew up the way it did when this is like a years old 
topic people just keep circulating around. But like, it's ga- like this is game design. Why aren't you complaining about wooden crates that are there to be smashed or, or red fuel barrels that are there to blow up, you know, or like any other hallmark decades old piece of game design that's just there because it's a way to make a video game and convey information to the player. Like, if you don't like that, that's fine. Like, I don't give a shit whether you think it's dumbing it down or think it's crucial. I do not care either way. It's up to the developers of the game to put it in or not. I just don't know why people get so upset about it. It's because we have no institutional memory. Duh. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> You've heard of, uh, what was it, the Eternal September? The concept of the Eternal September? Um, this is basically... Uh, I think invented in like the early, late 80s, early 90s. I'm just remembering. Uh, but basically, it's like, okay, um, every year college would happen and, you know, September would roll around. And then you get all these kids that would get on a local area network and they'd be like, um, they'd have to learn how to use the internet and also how to behave on the internet. And like, then over the year, they would learn how to do that. And then September would come around again. And then you'd get all these people who have to learn all this lesson again and they have to like relearn all this institutional knowledge. And the internet was described as the eternal September where like Mm. you're always getting new people who are like constantly being filtered in. I'm sorry if I'm not doing this concept correctly. I'm just doing off the top of my head. But like you're always getting people who weren't there the first time who now have to have the conversations that everybody already had, oftentimes much better in the past or already exhausted it and have the context for those things. And that's just an etern- like a, like a problem with like the structure of the internet and also of getting older and young people existing, it's, mm-hmm. which is not always a problem, but it's just like, you know, you, that's how you get like TikTok people being like, you're never going to believe the most <laughs> crazy, rare, lost media anime called Serial Experiments Lane. And you're like, <laughs> I think I can. Angel's Egg is the rarest anime I've, you've never, ever heard of. And it's like, yeah, I think I can. I, I've done that before. But I'm glad that you're learning about that now. Uh, and I'm, and, and on some level it's like, oh, look at them play. Oh, look, oh, you're getting into the, you're getting the games or art thing again. Oh, you know, you right. know, like. So the way we solve this problem is make sure that I am never exposed to the opinions <laughs> or ideas of a young person on the internet. We need to create age Different so internet. I do not have to interact yeah. with Child anybody internet. younger than 20. Child internet. Like a, EU. like a kid's pool. Yeah. Like a kid's pool. But for the internet, you're only allowed on a handful of websites. End-to-end encryption. Do not interact. DNI, uh, you can't talk to me if unless you've, uh, I don't know, you're like 25 or something. Yeah. So we, we start this by, because, you know, I mean, kids can get around age gates easily. So we start this by, like, you know, we've got to put chips in children so that then electronics <laughs> can read their actual age. Yep. Um, we should just make this as dystopian as possible. I mean, mm. we may as well. Uh, but no, th- this is like a a more complex version of a thing that like, and I, I talked about this a handful of weeks ago, but when I was talking to Tim Rogers at the uh, New York video game awards, he was like, yeah, I don't engage in discourse anymore. Cause I realize that it's all just children talking to each other. And like, it's always going to be because there's always going to be more children and other people are going to filter out of scenes and especially out of being online because you just have more time to be online when you're a kid. Um, and like, so these things are always going to recurse over and over and over forever. And blessedly one day, each of us will stop having time or the will to be online and we won't have to deal with it anymore. We'll be dead. I apologize to any actual children who are listening. If you are younger than 20, I apologize for all of our ageism. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I'm sorry I lied. No, just put the time in. You'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's see, in other news topics from this week, this one's a little bit further afield of video games. And so I'm not sure, Ash, if you followed this, um, but there was the whole saga of the uh, Coyote versus, or Wiley Coyote versus Acme video, or not video, movie getting just, you know, bend. Uh, Luke wrote about this. It was one of our bigger pieces this week. So I feel like we should address it and talk about it on the on the podcast as well. Um, but yeah, Luke, uh, can you kind of sum up your perspective for us on this matter? If you're in the business of m- explicitly making things for people to pay and watch and you choose to not make those things available to legally purchase, us getting hold of it is not piracy, it's preservation. Piracy should only equate to something that is being stolen. Like that's what the word means. If I could buy Coyote versus Acme or I could stream it as part of a subscription service, whatever. But if you're if you've made a movie that in, that's involved hundreds of people who have poured all their heart into it for months or even years of their life, specifically and solely in spirit, anyway, to be released to the public and be enjoyed as a work of art, but also paid for as a consumer product, and you choose to throw it in the bin as some tax loophole, you are relinquishing all rights to your ownership of that movie. And we should just be able to watch it for free because fuck that guy. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I have, I have very strong opinions unsurprisingly about this, uh, mainly because I regularly import things that are impossible to find in any pot. Like a lot of them are HBO movies, unsurprisingly, like movies made for HBO. Hold on. I got one right here. Uh, this one technically is a little less rare, but it's, uh, Ooh. Some cool packaging. Two-fisted, it's a laser, I'm holding up a laser disc of Two-Fisted Tales. Two-Fisted Tales uh, is a uh, horror omnibus made by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Who else? The guy from Child's Play. Is that Brad Pitt in the middle? That is Brad Pitt in the middle. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so basically they were like, Two-Fisted Tales, if you don't know, was a, uh, like, it was the, the the cowboy version of Tales from the Crypt, basically. You know, like, they, they do, like, you know, wacky, like, you know, wacky cowboy shit. And so they were like, all right, let's get Robert Zemeckis. Let's get, oh, who's the third guy? One second. It's got a fucking nutty cast. Um, Joel Silver. Uh, who the fuck? Richard Donner. Yeah, the Superman guy. Um, so it's like three shorts. It bombed and then they repackaged it as Tales of the Crypt. Um, but uh, like, they were all three Tales from the Crypt stories that don't really work. But like the original context in which you would see it, which is like, there's a weird Crypt Keeper, but he's like a cowboy in a wheelchair who's like, the metal plate in my head's making me crazy. <laughs> like, you can't watch that unless you were in Japan and had a Laserdisc player or you watched it once on TV in, like, 1991. And, like, you know, the owners of Tales from the Crypt and, by extension, this, like, you know, repackage it, but it's like, but what do you want to watch that thing? I don't know. They're not going to put it on streaming. <laughs> so I got to fucking transfer that shit. And like, that's literally like a lot of this stuff is like, yeah, they don't, they don't care about this weird TV movie and they don't care. No, nobody, they don't give a shit, you know, like only weirdos care about it, but also like, yeah, you can't tax write something off as a loss and then like put it like, and then day the crown clown cried it. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't just be like, act like it's a fucking piece of shame or delete it from the internet. It's fucked up. Right. Especially when tons of people worked on it. You should leak it on Usenet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leak it somewhere. Also, because at this point, I mean, with those movies, I think there's also like an immense curiosity gap at this point. I just want to see what was made and what people deemed worthy of throwing in the trash after all of that work. 
And by all intents and purposes, from what we've heard, like Coyote versus Acme was like kind of fire. Like it was supposed to be like funny as hell. Yeah, it looks, it, mm-hmm. I mean, the concept is cool. Um, but that's that's what I wrote about. Is it like this? This has happened before. This happened with that Batgirl movie. Yeah, but apparently but that was yeah. not people didn't care. <laughs> oh, that's it. But like that shouldn't matter because we're arguing about this on principle that something that's been created and intended for at least we should have been able to enjoy it anyway. But yes, you're right. By the same token, if it sucked, we're not as upset about it. But I think that's right. what makes this one even worse. Is that by all accounts, this was not only this terrible tax destructive tax loophole thing that takes all these people for a ride and just reduces their passions and creative works to nothing it was also good and we're being deprived of not only something on principle but we're being deprived of something that like likely or or perhaps could have been an actual good movie as well so like it just (sighs) fucking hurts even more i I think i remember the post that that really got me like okay i gotta see this was the um the composer doing like a big like choir version of meet meep or something like that (laughs) I, i forget what it was it was like something really it was like a really high end High level joke. I, there is also the uh, the possibility. I've I've thought the possibility that it's just like they're doing this to fuck with us so they can re release at a later date. But I don't think so. I think this is just like no. they. It's yeah. just they don't they don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like they. It's not enough for something to just be like like pretty good, in an interesting way. It has to be everything, or it's you know accounting fraud. Right. Although. I mean, I for one, now that you mention it, I do think that somebody will at some point use this as a marketing tactic. I, mean, I think it's inevitable that like this year, even someone will be like, ah, we had to get rid of that movie because, you know, taxes or whatever. And they'll be like, just kidding. It's coming out and everyone will hate them for it. Um, mm. But also, and I don't know how much y'all know about the underlying like tax code here, probably not a ton, but I am curious, like, could this happen in games? Could somebody like do this to a big video game production or is or are the laws so different that that wouldn't make any sense? I mean, the only reason why we're getting Skull and Bones is because Ubisoft can't cancel it for all the money they took from the Singaporean government yeah. that they would be forced to pay back. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny. I got to admit, that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe the answer is that all movies should just be funded by Singapore. <laughs> could like It depends on what scale, though. Like It's definitely something Embracer Group could and may well be planning on doing. Um, but like other major publishers, surely they're too reliant on the actual sales of like, like video games seem less risky than movies do in terms of like being able to project your returns on your investment and stuff. So like, I can't see Sony binning Spider-Man three or some other, you know, first party game because they will have had penciled in, this will make 200 to 400 million and it's not worth binning it because it's cost so much more than a movie than most movies cost to make. But we can, we're also guaranteed to make more money off it than most movies are guaranteed to make off it as well. So, right. Oh, wait. Yeah. That's at that end of the market. Like I said, embrace the group. Oh, yeah. Would not surprise me if there's already whiteboards like being worn down, like which, which mid tier Lord of the Rings um, <laughs> dating slim slash strategy game that we've had in development for 18 months can go in the trash for tax purposes. What does European okay. tax law look like? Because they're creating value for shareholders. That's oh, their primary God. concern. I was really worried about that. Hey, we should get some shareholders. I'm worried that we're not creating <laughs> enough value. Does anyone in I, chat I, want to be a shareholder of Aftermath.site? Um, don't put your hands up all at once. No. Uh, but yeah, no, what is uh, in, in chat? Wait, Ash, were you referring to the Lamplighters League game? I Yes, I really enjoyed the Lamplighters League uh, for the little bit that I played. Um, I hate that the 
realities of my day job prevented me from having more time with it so mm-hmm. I could, you know, talk more about it and how much I enjoyed that game. But the children yearn for XCOM. <laughs> and yes. that was like a really good game. It had a really fun like atmosphere. I enjoyed like the story it was trying to tell me and the characters and all of that stuff. And I just hate that, you know, it didn't get the reception that it probably deserved. It was a tight tactics game in an in a field where, you know, uh, Fire Emblem pissed me off. Um, Advanced Wars pissed me the hell off. Like, nothing's been fun. Like, I haven't had a fun mm-hmm. tactics-like game in a long time. And the Lamplighters League kind of scratched that itch. And I'm, I'm sad that it didn't get the love that it deserved. I'd blame Paradox partly for that, yeah. as being its mm-hmm. publisher, than, than the actual game itself. Because Paradox... Like, I'm a huge fan of a lot of Paradox's big first-party grand strategy games, but, like, as a publisher, that company's track record is is diabolical. The way right. that they handle and promote and green light and package and all their all, everything, all their sort of third-party stuff that they've done has been a disaster. Um, and Lamplighters League is, like, the, the, the poster child for just how to mismanage what seems, for all intents, like a really cool game with a really cool idea. Um, just They just seem to drop it at every step yeah um what happened there though because riley and chat seemed to be implying that like there was some sort of a road off or write-off i think they folded that studio didn't they they, they shut it down yeah the game yeah. came out and and didn't didn't meet their expectations which is partly their problem for setting unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. um and then yes I, I don't know whether they laid off most people or actually just closed the whole studio down i can't remember but yeah that that was yeah it was it was easier for them to do that than to yeah, I don't want to talk about it. It's depressing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame. And also it's one of those cases where like, because yeah, I mean, I guess it's the other direction you can go if you have like this smaller, more focused game that's interesting and like it doesn't find an audience. Is like, you know, that that has casualties too, which is a huge bummer because I want people to make more games like this, not fewer. Um, mm-hmm. But they can't all be, you know, like Helldivers, which also exists on a different scale entirely. I want a tactics game. I want more FF tactics games. Me too. Um, yeah, I mean, we're also just like, I, I still, you know, I, I thought that the Marvel game that Firaxis made was good. Yes. But it wasn't XCOM 3. Yeah. I, I want XCOM 3. And given that like what Firaxis had layoffs, like Jake Solomon left the studio, a bunch of other stuff. And it feels like we may not get XCOM 3 for a while because that seems... Like it wouldn't, you know, be necessarily a financial slam dunk um, because it's always been niche. And so I wonder if, you know, we we don't see that for a while. I could do a whole podcast on, on my thoughts on Midnight Suns and how that was a disaster. <laughs> because, yeah. Disaster as in the game or disaster as in like Mark? As in a, as in a, as a concept. As it's, it's so many of those Marvel games have underperformed based on how much it costs for the license or how many copies they thought mm. they were going to sell because you buy the license to the comic books, you're not buying the license to like Scarlett Johansson's face and the cinematic universe characters. That's the shit that people would have wanted and paid for. When you, when you go down multiple levels of, of popularity and association, then you're just left with these comic book characters and you make a game that is a tactics game, but it doesn't play like XCOM. And then it has all that relationship stuff around it with characters that people aren't necessarily invested as heavily in as they might have been with a more popular Marvel characters or B their own characters that they got to build in XCOM and that they got to name and build and, and develop, which was like a huge part of XCOM's appeal in the first place. It's like 
Yeah, I recognize people love Midnight Suns for what it is, but like on a strategic level, like I think that game was a disaster. I think XCOM 3 would have been, or, or something adjacent to that would have been like a no-brainer. And it's it's wild to me that they, they like put the studio's future on the line to make that game. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a hater. Maybe I just didn't like Midnight Suns, but. Well, you know, bear in mind that was also the period of time where everyone considered marvel to be like you know you just strike gold immediately if you use yeah which is which is what i was saying because it's not the only one there was the avengers game the, yeah. the guardians of the galaxy game was really good it but was. again it didn't sell because it didn't have chris pratt's face on it and because it was well written i thought so <laughs> damn it it is no i'm not joking yeah i don't give a shit whose face is there i'm not speaking about me personally but surely there is extensive research that shows these licenses that that were bought for marvel like the biggest thing in the world were these movies with these people's faces on them. Yeah. And suddenly you wheel out. And there was all the memes about the old pornos and cos like bad cosplayers and stuff impersonating them instead. Like that that has a huge effect on your marketing. It's like you imagine if if there was a Star Wars game came out and Luke Skywalker just had a completely different face. Like it would fuck <laughs> you up. You'd be like, What? Why is this happening? It's supposed to be my yeah, young yeah. Mark Hamill. But that's what happened with those Avengers games. And it's like it's if he was ginger. Yeah, it was redhead. Okay, that would be interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. Well, with all of that said, rip, I guess, Marvel's Midnight Suns. Um, it's time, I think, to move on to the mailbag, wherein we answer questions from people. Um, folks in chat, if you want to ask any questions, ask away. In the meantime, I'm going to start with some questions from the Discord. Um, I, I need time to think on this one, but I'm sure Chris has an answer. Um, if you could powder coat, oh wait, CC Wright says this, by the way, if you could powder coat something that is not physically able to be powder coated, what would you coat in powder? Uh, parentheses, fruit, wood, humans, etc. You can powder coat wood. You can powder coat wood. It's really, really hard to do. And it's weird, but there's like, there are, my understanding based on looking this up, cause I was like, oh, it has to be conductive is that wood, I think plastic and glass can be, it's just a fucking huge pain in the ass. Uh, but um, I don't know. I think we could, if we, we could probably sandblast and powder coat uh, Statue of Liberty. That'd be you amazing. Know, have her- That would be sick. Like a nice teal or something. Yeah, yeah or, like a little baby, you know, cause she's, she's, she's got that like, that like oxidation layer on yeah, her. Yeah, she's looking a little long Give her tooth. something new. Get, you know, maybe, maybe like a kind of like, like a slick carbon fiber we're thinking, maybe a baby blue. Or you can make her biblically accurate Statue of Liberty and make her black again. That would true. off a lot yeah. of the right people. Mm -hmm. It's true. Uh, I don't know. I powder coating is fucking cool, though. Yeah, I saw somebody earlier, I think, in the Discord, talking about like based on your article that you published today um, on the idea of like powder coating a phone. And I was like, is that advisable? Is that a thing you could do? Yeah, I mean, if it's an aluminum based, I mean, okay. So what you would have to do if I'm gaming this out in my head is you would have to remove the guts of the phone from 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 it it would have to be something that like can take a charge then you go to a guy like i do uh who is like just a like a couple of russian guys in a garage who have like one of those like hype beast style like you know you know you know when like you have to do like car music videos they have those like grids of of, of lights and stuff like that and then they're just sitting around being like yeah, yeah, yeah and then you're like hey can you do this and they're like yeah sure no problem it's this amount of money and then they bring you to like like when I did that, they brought me to a big 
room with a bunch of buckets, like a little, little like Tupperware containers. And they're like, here are the ones we have. And I was like, well, I'd like something in matte. And then I went on prismaticpowders.com and uh, yeah, basically anything's metal. It's fine. That like can take, that you can hook up. Um, I was trying to tra- to powder coat a trackball for a while, but that's actually kind of impossible to get full coverage because you need to like be able to like clamp it on. And you can't do that with a trackball because it's a sphere. You can't powder coat a sphere. It fucking sucks. I I think that, um, you know, if this was still the era where people were making YouTube prank videos, um, I would slowly replace somebody's life with powder coated objects. Like every week I would just have a new one powder coated and I'd put it back in their room or whatever. And then eventually they'd be like, I'm losing my mind. Just one apple at a time from their fruit bowl and yeah. then like a pencil on their desk. Yeah, that would be sweet. Eventually they'd be so broken by the whole process that they'd just eat the apple. They'd be like, whatever, <laughs> man, I don't even care anymore. I'm looking at powder coated wood now and it's really cool looking. Hmm. Can well, you do pencils? Pencils would be amazing. Like a, like a set of pencils, but they were all powder coated. That'd be pretty mm. sick. How would you sharpen them? Uh, can I recommend a pen? It's the Roting 600. It's a, a, a beautiful, I believe powder coated, but just a, maybe anodynes. I don't know. It's, it's fucking really nice. Um, it's like a $30 pen, but like, and it's a ballpoint, but it's like, it has, um, it feels like an exacto knife, knurling, whatever you call it. It's got one of those things. So it's just like, you get a really good grip on it. Hmm. It's really nice. Okay. So another question, um, from egg emoji, uh, what's everyone's earliest gaming memory slash the game that made you quote unquote awaken to the medium. So I guess like, what's the game that like really made, like, what's the game that turned you into like a gamer or whatever, where you're like. Hell yeah, this this shit rules. I got to do this forever. Uh, I I have I have a really boring one, which is just like Mario Brothers. Yeah, like it's just it's literally was there. I think like it was tied with um that one Bugs Bunny Magical Castle NES game. I think that's like one of the what what, what you'd get that occasionally. You'd get like a platformer. Um, and the place um I, you know there was a rental store that was also like kind of a deli. Uh, they're called Packies in like package stores in in massachusetts which sounds terrible wrong, but it's, it's just what yeah it feels it feels like like racist or something that is definitely a slur yeah it, it feels like it. in england it is uh but no it's just literally what they call like bodegas in like i don't know like n- the north shore of massachusetts because it's literally just but yeah they they had like this just cigarette smelling place that just had a bugs bunny game that i really liked i don't know if that game's i haven't played that game in ages yeah uh, I could say Aztec Challenge on the Commodore 64 because I'm <laughs> old as hell. But as, as, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the first game I ever played. I was like four years old when my dad got, like, brought the system home. And it was like the first game we put in. And it was this like awful old school game where there was just 10 minute sections of jumping, ducking, jumping, ducking. And if you got one thing wrong, you're right back to the start. Like, no, it continues, nothing. And it's like, in hindsight, I guess the idea that I, and I would just, I was useless at it. I was four years old. I couldn't play for shit. And I just kept dying and going back and dying and going back. And the idea that I could hate something so much, but still love it and want to keep doing it, <laughs> I guess hasn't changed. In, yeah, I was going to say, now you're a games journalist. <laughs> yeah, now I'm doing that at scale. Yeah. Um, so yeah, probably Aztec Challenge on the Commodore 64. Which I think may be a slightly problematic game now. I will have to go and look up the uh, yeah based on the name box art slash contents. Yeah, I'll I'll check and get back to you next week. Yeah, It'd be funny if it was really progressive. <laughs> it was just like out of nowhere. 
Commodore 60. I feel like an Amiga game, you might be able to swing that where it just like, it has like an, like you're just playing and you're like, oh, they haven't, they did a lot of research on this, even for the time. That's really impressive. <laughs> not, but no, it's probably really not done well. Uh, Ash, how about you? It's funny you should ask that question because I actually just wrote about it. Uh, Tomb Raider 2. I read your um, Oh, thank you. I It's not my earliest gaming memory, but uh, most of my earliest gaming memories are because I was forced to play video games with my male cousins. And some of them were cool, like Sonic, and some of them were not cool, like getting my ass beat at Pac-Man and Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. But uh, my mom's boyfriend gave me a PlayStation that I did not ask for and did not know what it was with a bunch of games that were all over the place from like Tomb Raider 2 to like Need for Speed, Hot Pursuit, and like Tekken 3. Like, you know, because those are the games you want to give like, you know, a 14, 15 year old black girl. And one of those games was Tomb Raider 2. And I played the shit out of that game because I think it was the first game that I ever owned that you could play as a woman. Because uh, you couldn't, you couldn't choose a girl for Pokemon Blue, right? You just played as Red, right. So that was the first game I could play as a woman. And I loved that game. I played the shit out of that game. I have all these formative memories of playing that game. And then I went back to play that game with the Tomb Raider Remastered. And I would like to strangle 14-year-old me because like, damn, bitch, you lived like this? Like, what the hell is this? This is garbage. So yeah, that's that's the game that got me into it. Um which is really funny because there's some uh, family lore associated with that, which does not have the best like origins. Like that PlayStation was given to me as a gift out of nowhere because that person wanted to swindle my mother out of money and it ended up working. But that person could have no idea that giving me this gift with that game would set me on the path that has me here with you fine folks 22 years later. So Tomb Raider 2. Did you see that one TikTok where someone's like talking about their trauma and their trauma was that their dad left them, but uh, he became a breakdancer? Yeah, that's yeah, great. It's a great TikTok. It's because she kept on being like, but he's really good is the fucked up thing. He's like really good, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, he didn't pay my, yeah. but he didn't pay my medical bills. And it's just a really funny TikTok. Mm-hmm. Let's see. For me, I think the game would probably be uh, Warcraft 2. So I, I played that when I was like really young in my dad's like office. Uh, one of his like coworkers, I think, showed it to me. And I don't know what it was about it, but it just like captured my imagination for some reason. I got really into like all of the various units and stuff like that and stuff like that. And like I couldn't play it for shit because it was too complicated for like a very young me. Um, so I just used some, tons of cheat codes and like make make my own maps where I was overwhelmingly powerful and could not be assailed by anything or anybody. And I would just spend hours every day doing this stuff. And even did the, like little art projects around the game. I'd like make versions of characters and stuff. And it was the same uh, with GoldenEye 64. I was a very artistic child. And then I threw it all out the window because I decided in high school that I didn't like it anymore. Um, but yeah, those games just like, for whatever reason, they felt like infinite to me. And I wanted to like explore every inch of them in every way possible. Um, I think that, you know, like as I got older, I realized, oh, games have these like defined limits and, you know, you can only do so much within the bounds of them. But when I was younger, I just thought like, oh, there are these magical places where anything is possible if you have an idea to do it. Um, So, yeah, I think those were the ones for me. Let's see. Additional questions. We have a handful today. Um, Oh, yeah. I think this one kind of dovetails with the other one. Um, So from Jack Marshall. 
They ask, do you have an end-of-game credit sequence that you particularly enjoy? I like how um, Bayonetta uh, will frequently make you, like, fight during the credits while the music plays. Those are always fun. Um, has anyone beaten Phantom Dust? Uh, no, I've not. Okay, so the song that plays at the end of Phantom Dust is called I'm Lonely. And, uh, uh, what is it? Who's, who's in the brown bunny? Uh, Vincent Gallo. Yeah, it's a Vincent Gallo song. Is that the end of Phantom Dust? It's a really, it's, I hate to give it to anything to Vincent Gallo. It's a really good song, but it's also like, the fuck are you doing here, man? <laughs> why did, why is this at the end of Phantom Dust? I mean, it works. It's a good game. It's narratively resonant, but like, the hell, man? Isn't that like Sonic 3? Isn't that the one with the Michael Jackson song in the closing credits that like absolutely slaps? That makes sense, like, though. It's the, best, it's the best track in the game. Like, you, you play all of Sonic 3 and it's like, yeah, whatever. And then there's this like yeah. track playing during the closing credits where you're like, where has this been for the last 10 hours? <laughs> I, but, you know, we have photos of like Michael Jackson next to Sonic the Hedgehog or something. I don't know. But we don't. I, I think we do. I don't know if I've seen like Vincent Gallo next to like an Xbox 360 or something. That probably exists if I look it up, but like it's just a really weird thing to happen. Um, well, I can go with this one, even though we don't have Riley on the show. We do have him in chat. So Riley, actually, if you want to, if you want to answer this question in chat, you can do that. Uh, with Riley's great article about Colts and games, I wondered if you had any reading slash watching you'd recommend about Colts. So I find that one interesting. Although I'm not much of a co- <laughs> uh for for those who are listening to this, Riley in chat just said "Oh boy" in all capital letters, and then <laughs> "Oh boy" a second time with two exclamation points. Activated his sleeper cell. I, I can offer something that's not strictly a cult, but uh, any documentary about MLMs, um, I feel like they technically fit the definition of a cult. So, like oh, the Lularoe documentary was fascinating. Um, that came out a couple of years ago. That's on Amazon Prime. My favorite one is the documentary called The Source Family. Uh, if you've never seen it, The Source Family were kind of like a, a like the prototypical California cult. Um, it was run by a guy named Father Yod. They all lived in a big, they ran the first like vegetarian restaurant in Los Angeles and lived in like a kind of weird commune mansion. And he had a psych rock band and he looked like Santa Claus. <laughs> and the cool thing about this documentary is they interview a lot of the people who were in it. And a lot of them were like, yeah, you know, you smoked weed all day and then you worked, you had a couple shifts, kind of kind of tight. And like, that's a thing that I think is like, not a great message, but it's also just like, they are, they get to the point where it's like, yeah, it was, rent was cheap. You know, you, you did a bunch of pushups. I was in great shape. It was really fun. And then, and then all the cult stuff happened. And I think that like, that part is, is interesting context for like why people get sucked into certain things. And then he dies in a really cool way. He he uh he he hang glides uh off of a cliff, having not taken any hang gliding experience, and breaks his <laughs> neck in Hawaii. Uh, why why did he hang glide if he had never done it before? What was the reason there? Basically, they the, not to get too much into it, but they basically like decided to take the entire cult, move to Hawaii, and like just like start from scratch and cause it, things were not going well. And then like everybody who was, you, you know, like a person who who's native to the Island was like, fuck you go away, which is the, which is like, yeah, correct. Uh, and then things kept deteriorating. So he's like, I have a vision. I've never hang glided in my life. If I survive this, it was meant to be. If I die, I think he was giving them plausible, a plausible out, but he basically killed himself like by hang gliding 
as a means of like giving people an excuse to leave is my understanding. It's a really weird end. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm going to quickly read what Riley has suggested because he's the expert. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everything Jennings Brown does is great. Who was our past colleague at Gizmodo. He made a great podcast called Revelations and another called The Gateway. Uh, There's a very good podcast called Conspirituality that is more about modern wellness grifters. There's also a series recently called Stolen Youth about a sort of cult um, at Sarah Lawrence, a super hard watch, but really humanizing. All right. So those are some cult recommendations. Um, With that said, we have answered all of this week's questions. We have done our homework. And so, uh, yeah, I think we're probably going to go ahead and wrap up now. Um, Thank you, everybody, for joining us, whether you did so via the stream or just the podcast. As always, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, have a good one. Bye. 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 Thanks for having me.